0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to another edition of the TDN Writer's Room Podcast. My name is Bill Finley. I'm a correspondent for the TDN. I also do horse racing radio shows on Sirius XM with legendary Dave Johnson. I'm Randy Moss with NBC Sports. I also do a podcast.
2: Oh, wait, that's what we're doing right now. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Zoe.
1: <laughs> I'm
3: Zoe Kammel with Fast Racing and Santa Anita here I have trusty Doodle right there. Oh, look at that. Perfectly positioned. He won't stay there long. Looking out the window, waiting for something to bark at.
1: So we often like to start the podcast with stories that were in the TDN that seemed to have struck a nerve with our readers. We can tell by in this day and age, you know, how many hits they're getting and whatnot. And John Sakura from Hillendale Farm wrote a story under the headline of No Simple Solutions For a fractured sport and like so many other people you know john is doing his best to come up with ideas and thoughts and ways we might make horse racing better and sustain its future but uh, i think he buried the lead a little bit that's a randy knows that as an old uh, newspaper guy because well down in his story he brought up something that has really uh, hit a nerve with people and he said he talked about the purse of the kentucky derby which is three million dollars says that includes 1 million dollars in fees and nominations from the owners and he called that an embarrassment that the Kentucky Derby is 3 million dollars. Now why would a race worth that much money be worth 3 million dollars be an embarrassment? Well, because it's the Kentucky Derby. And the Breeders' Cup Classic is worth 6, the Breeders' Cup Turf is worth 4 million, the Pegasus at Gulfstream is worth 3, it's not even to mention races like the Saudi Cup and the um, Dubai World Cup. And, And and John is absolutely right. This is the greatest race in America, maybe even in the world. And it shouldn't, when it comes to a purse, take second rating to anything. Now, I don't know that they can make it $20 million and compete with the Saudi Cup. But numbers that were thrown around by John were that it should be $10 million and that the Kentucky Oaks should be $5 million. Churchill Downs certainly has the money. And, you know, is this going to change horse racing as we know it and, and solve all its problems? No, but he's absolutely right. These races should be worth a lot more money. Randy, your thought.
2: Yeah, I mean, he brought up a lot of things in that uh, in that op-ed, and I would uh, strongly suggest that anyone who cares about horse racing reads that. Uh, he's got a lot of very interesting points. The Kentucky Derby purse being just one of them, and no, it's not going to do anything really to improve the financial aspects of the sport. Uh, but it's it. Yeah, I don't disagree with him or you. But it, it is an interesting fodder for debate. It, it would, it's a fascinating debate, right? The Preakness, uh, the Derby's worth $3 million. The Preakness and the Belmont are worth $1.5 each. So the Derby is worth twice as much as either the Preakness or the Belmont. The purse money that horsemen get from the Kentucky Derby is an afterthought the real value of the Kentucky Derby is what it does for a horse's value in the stud barn tens of millions of dollars accrue to the owner of the or the the um, the breeding farm that ultimately winds up standing the stallion and flowing down to the owner of the horse when he wins the Kentucky Derby. I don't think I have ever heard a horseman in fact I know I haven't say now we're not going to run in the Kentucky Derby the purse money is just not big enough, okay. But it, I, and I but I can understand. I mean, the Breeders' Cup Classic is worth six million dollars, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all the people that commented about that from the industry, okay, agreed with Sakura, and I can understand that. Those are people who commented who play the Derby game every year. They play at that upper level. They have to pay the nomination fee, the starter fees, which probably pale in comparison to the hotel room costs and all that for all the people that wind up going. But what about all those other horses? The purses at Churchill Downs and elsewhere in Kentucky right now are astronomical. They they have been, you know, they've skyrocketed in recent years. Would it be better for sport, would it be better for Kentucky, would it be better for horsemen to drop those purses somewhat and hike up the purse of the Kentucky Derby dramatically? Uh, Can Churchill Downs do both? Can they hike up the purse money dramatically for the Derby and keep the rest of the purse structure the way it is right now? It's a very, very interesting debate, but I do not disagree with those who say that the stature of the Kentucky Derby is such and the finances of nominating, running, traveling, etc., are such that the Derby couldn't use a purse boost.
3: Yeah, um, it definitely could use a purse boost. Let's put it into perspective. We all know that European racing, the money's not that great over in Europe, while we see a lot of turf horses coming over stateside to plunder and win an awful lot of money. Put it in contacts at the Arc de Triomphe, probably their Kentucky Derby in France is worth $5.24 million. That's that was the purse of the Arc de Triomphe. When you consider that maiden races over there are going for eight, 10,000 euros. So the fact that they have a race themselves that's worth 5 million euros, why can't we have the derby that's worth 10? And to your point, Randy, you are absolutely right. Horses that win the Derby make millions, hundreds of millions, stallion syndicates. I mean, every single thing, thank you, Uh, delivery. (laughs) Every single thing that goes into winning the Derby, you're getting paid for. But from the outside looking in, yeah, $3 million. When you consider Elliot Walden's comeback for that was, and I'm gonna read it, the Derby's been raised twice over the last 20 years, 300%. Churchill Downs' stock prices alone in the same period have gone up 1,900%. So why can't the price of the Derby go up? I mean, I don't want to take money away from the everyday racing at Churchill Downs. They're making an absolute fortune, but they could easily, the Derby alone, Derby weekend alone, $20 million in revenue for Churchill Downs. They could easily make it a $10 million part.
1: No problem whatsoever. But guys, here's the problem. They don't have to. This is a bottom line exactly. oriented uh, um, group. And we all know that people criticize them for that, but they're running a business and they want to make as much profit as possible. If they came out with an announcement tomorrow and said, we read that story in the TDN and not only do we disagree with people, we so vehemently disagree with them that we're dropping the purse the 2 million dollars next year would one single person say you know what i'm not running no. in the kentucky derby no. not one so there's what is the in- other than it's the right thing to do it's fair but that's not how, that's not how the big bad world of business works They're making a gobloads of money on the Kentucky Derby, and they like that they're making loads of money in the Kentucky Derby. And the fact that the purse is $3 million does not hurt them in any way, shape or form unless your boss's astronaut group wants to put the uh, San Diego Derby on the first Saturday in May and make it a $10 million race. And that's not going to happen either, Zoe. No, it's it's
3: not going to
1: happen.
2: No, but uh, and on the subject of the right thing to do, another part of the of the uh, the op-ed written by Secura that a lot of people have mentioned before, we've mentioned it here before. Is you know, is it how do you uh, how do you fix horse racing when? Everybody, every little fiefdom in the sport, every large fiefdom in the sport, from Churchill Downs Incorporated to First Racing to the New York Racing Association, are, if not exclusively, certainly primarily concerned with their own pile of money, with their own welfare, with their own stake schedule, and not necessarily concerned with the overall health of the sport From coast to coast he points out california the struggles that california is having right now and i've mentioned on this sport on the sport i've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times the contrast between that and the nfl which back in the 1930s uh the the best franchises in the nfl who were accumulating all the best players coming out of college because they could pay them the most money the new york giants of tim mara who was a bookmaker, by the way, and a very accomplished horse better? Uh, the George Hallis and the Chicago Bears, uh, George Marshall, the Washington Redskins—all these teams were doing really well. The other teams were doing terribly. They were losing money. The Packers, the what are the Steelers now? Uh, the Rams—all these now traditional franchises were losing money, and so the, the the powers that be, who were doing the best in the NFL, decided this is a league. If if this sport is going to survive, we need to make sure that the weakest link is making it and is flourishing. And they created, they invented, it had never been done before, the NFL draft. So that every team would have an equal shot. The have-nots would actually get first pick in the draft over the teams that had all the money that were having the most success. How do you do something like that in horse racing to fix Southern California to fix some of these other venues that are struggling right now? That's a great question. He doesn't really have an answer, but, uh, you know, just to read the column and hear him kind of flushing it out is very interesting.
1: Well, are the answer is something we've been talking about for hundreds of years. You have a commissioner of racing, and we know that that's absolutely never going to happen. By the way, I would nominate you, Randy.
3: <laughs> I actually, I really <laughs> like this point.
1: <laughs> you, really, you really hate me that much, Bill?
3: <laughs> um, I think you'd be an
1: excellent commissioner. Uh, no.
2: uh,
3: I loved his point, what he was saying about the historical horse racing machines at Kentucky Downs and the fact, why can't they put a portion of that aside to help California racing? I mean, they've got money coming out of those machines hand over fist. It's an idea. I'm all for it. I live out here on an island in Southern California. It was a very. No, and he also had a, and
2: he also had a great point. I mean, there was a lot of quotes from Mike Ripole about the uh, the fascinating quotes. Anyone who has spent any time at all with Mike Ripole knows, ha- a how passionate he is about the sport of horse racing. This is a guy that's made billions of dollars in business, and b how frustrated he is with the state. Of horse racing right now and the way the industry is being operated but secure had a great point about all the tremendously successful business people who are involved in horse racing some of the smartest business minds in the world and they're all frustrated about what's going on in the sport why can't you sit all these people together and try to come up with some kind of a solution because th- there's no teeth to any sort of solution like that because to your point bill there's no central league office with any authority that can say, you know, this is a great idea. We're going to implement this. Every track in America has to follow it. it
1: it's it is frustrating to all of us. Um, Randy and uh, Zoe just want to remind you that that was not an op-ed uh, in the TDN written by John Sakura. It's actually a very well done interview from Chris McGrath, but Chris McGrath relaying the thoughts of John Sakura and as a team. They did a very good job. OK, so we finally have a resolution of a Paco Gate at Parks. Remember last week on the show, we talked about his ride on riding with Biden in the Greenwood Cup where he pulled the horse up before the finish line and cost the horse second place. That cost the owners $19,000 and cost bettors uh, who had the. Riding with Biden uh, underneath next exacto or riding with Biden to place or whatnot costs them uh, easily tens of thousands of dollars. They gave him 30 days. I'm OK with the 30 days. I would have given him 60 personally, but I was more worried that it would be a slap on the wrist. And that would have been the bad thing and sent the wrong message. Um, so they got it somewhere in between but that they did not slap him on the wrist and they told Paco this is not okay and obviously told him not to do it again. I think uh, the, the, the stewards at parks deserve some credit for that.
3: Definitely. 30 days, perfect.
1: It's a, deter- it's a
2: deterrent, that's what it's supposed to be. I, I promise you, well, I can't promise you because you know I can't get in the mind of Paco Lopez. I don't think he'll ever do it again. <laughs> Put it that way. Not yeah, that he did it on purpose to begin with. It was an accident. But, uh, you know, it, it there were betters that lost money. There were owners that lost money. And I thought it was a pretty fitting
1: uh, punishment for the crime, in air quotes. Yes. and uh, But one way or another, Paco will be back in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Uh, a tremendously talented <laughs> rider. But boy, does he seem to get into um, you know messes like this um, m- much more often than perhaps anyone else. Now, what's coming up, this is a silly thing to be talking about here and debating about on our podcast. But I, I think we should because it involves Bob Baffert, um, the number one trainer in the sport, most visible trainer in the sport. And for months, if not years, there were uh, two people in particular on Twitter. Now, X, I'm not going to say X, it's Twitter. Enough of that. X, the website formerly known as Twitter, who just roasted him left and right with most outlandish claims whatsoever. One was a guy by the name of Justin Wonderler, who posted under the name of Swift Hitter. And uh, the other guy who really... Um, I'm not quite sure why they involved him in this lawsuit because his uh, activity, anti-Baffert activity and postings compared nothing to what Wonderler did, but a guy by the name of Daniel DeCorsio uh, go, uh, wrote on the name of Barshoe Life. They sued him, uh, for both of them, for ext- extortion and de- defamation. Um, this really hit a boiling point when Wonderler came out and said that he has a video – Uh, and implied that it was so nefarious that when he releases it, it will, quote, unquote, end Baffert's career. Uh, They accused him of blood doping. They have urged others to engage in this, according to the lawsuit. um, So this is allegedly have urged others to engage in violent behavior towards Baffert and uh, all sorts of just uh, I mean, they were relentless. um, And, you know, it was it was Definitely crossed the line. And I've often wondered about that. How is it that people can get away with saying whatever they want on Twitter? And there never seems to be any uh, payback. Um, certainly, I think the things that they said and did uh, do come under the um, uh, the, uh, the the uh, under the, whatever the guidelines are legally for extortion and defamation. And uh, it was it was, uh, you know, Baffert said, I've had enough of this crap. And went out and tried to put a stop to it so um you know look if i want to put on baffert that randy moss is the world's lousiest handicapper okay i can do that he's a yeah. great handicapper, we all know that but i can't come out and say that when randy moss shows up at the breeders cup um uh th- people should engage in violent behavior towards him i mean no that's not right. okay so no. uh, they, they absolutely crossed a, a line and um uh, the one guy, um, wonder or swift hitter hasn't stopped. He, he's been, been since then continuing to post some things about Baffert. The other guy's gone, gone cold. Uh, you don't hear from him whatsoever, but, uh, um, you know, like again, and only in 2023 and only in the world of social media, can we have a story like this, but you know, um, Baffert's Baffert, just said, I've had enough of this crap. And, um, uh, I think, uh, good for him.
2: Yeah. I mean, everybody knows that's been involved at all in social media, the, You know, that Twitter can have some incredibly positive aspects to it, right? And it can also have these negative aspects where people sometimes hide behind anonymity and then just, just throw out these, uh, you know, these unbelievable comments. I've had them directed at me before. I blocked a couple of people on Twitter before I realized that that doesn't do any good. You know, I've, I've come back at them before on Twitter when they, when they say things, uh, That doesn't really do any good either. So now you know you just got to develop a thick skin and just kind of ignore stuff like that. I'm not saying it happens to me a lot, but in the in the area of Bob Baffert, you know, my gosh, I mean the stuff that uh, that has been tweeted out about him, and it does seem like it. You know, if there is no basis to it, and that's what a judge is going to decide, that's what the lawyers are going to decide then it, it seems like it would cross the line to defamation of character, to slander, possibly extortion, things like that. So we wonder why people never get you know, called on the carpet for something like this. Maybe this is a situation in which they will. It's going to be a fascinating case to follow.
3: I mean, it's just crossing the line. It's got personal. And... You can say whatever you want on social media. It's a public platform. But once you cross that line and you get personal and you start slandering, you know, Jill, his son, Bodie, and getting people, you know, to get violent at them, it's become personal and it should never cross that line. So kudos for Bob for taking some action and going after them.
1: Yeah. And I don't know this. I don't know the answer to this question, but I was also wondering that, um, you know, when you talk about extortion, what they were saying was that, that they were um saying to Baffert that give us money and we won't release um this alleged tape that doesn't they've been talking about uh, or wonder has been talking about forever and, and doesn't seem to ever come, come to be. And also, you know, urging uh, other people to engage in violence against them. Um I wonder if if the next step is criminal charges. I don't, I don't see why not. Um, that'll be interesting to follow as well to, to see if we'll get there. But uh, I'm not sure Twitter has made the world a better place. And this is a good example of that. Uh, my tweets are so boring that nobody ever gets. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know what that means. I think I last tweeted in 2021
2: or something like that. I, mean, I was involved pretty heavily there for a while and then it just kind of petered out. Sorry to all the people, to the 30,000 or so people who follow me. but You you
1: did the right thing. (laughs) Not much good can come from that.
3: The TDN Writers' Room is brought to you by Keeneland. Keeneland has catalogued, listen for this, guys, 3,569 horses for its 80th November breeding stock sale. It'll begin on Wednesday, November the 8th, and run nine sessions through Thursday, November the 16th, with the standalone, we mentioned this last week, November Horses of Racing Age sale followed the following day. The breeding stock sale features proven producers, coveted broodmare prospects who are successful horses, and royally bred weanlings at all levels of the market. The auction will open with a single day book one, which begins at 1 p.m. and will showcase an exceptional group of broodmares, broodmare prospects and weanlings. Among them, you might have heard of this one. Our stakes winner, Puka, carrying a full sibling to 2023 Derby winner, Mage. Breeders' Cup winner, Caravelle, she'll be in there, along with her damn, Zizi Zoom Zoom, who is now in foal to Justify. And also Grade One winner, Delika, who is in foal to the one and only Flightline. We'll be right back after this message from Keeneland.
4: A Keeneland?
3: A horse will always be measured in hands.
4: Hands that see, that sense, that speak. Hands that hold
5: our sport to a higher standard. Not for our sake,
3: but for theirs. For the love of the horse. For generations to come. The Retired racehorse Horse Project's Thoroughbred Makeover, presented by the TCA, takes place at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, October the 11th through the 14th. It is a must-not-miss event. The makeover will welcome 404 horses, including both recently retired racehorses, and for the first time, my favorite category, former broodmares. Take a look at the entry list and look for your favorite former racehorse at the rrp.org entries. In this week's edition of First Things First, I caught up with trainer Doug O'Neill and discussed Slow Down Andy. Slow down Andy. Yes. Quite the accomplishment. Finally, he went off favored. I mean, he is two wins in two seconds, I think, since going off favored now.
0: He's pretty amazing, Andy. He's won, going a mile and eighth on the turf, on the dirt, won, going one turn. Uh, he's done just about everything, so, uh, and just being a homebred of Paul and Zilla is pretty, pretty awesome, right? Grateful to, to be part of the, the team with Surround and Down, and Andy cool, cool horse.
3: How did he come out of it?
0: Came out of it good. He's a little tired, which uh, is to be expected, but, uh, but he looks well, and, and um, we've got the British Cup Classic circled, and see how it goes. See the old cliche; he'll he'll tell us. So let's we'll see what he, what he tells us.
3: Do you think he could well be the speed of the speed?
0: You know, he definitely has enough speed to be on the lead for the place in, in a mile and a quarter race. So I just have to see who who shows up and and all that. But he sure broke well the other day, and, and um, yeah, he showed. Speed and salmon for sure.
3: Is this your morning regime up here in your suite
0: I'm training? Tell,
3: uh, tell us about your suite here, the Key Dozen Club. What's going on
0: uh, here? Well, we had a, a dear friend named Steve K. Uh, that passed away, it's been five years, four or five, mm-hmm. four or five years ago. So in honor of Steve, Steve was always uh, the man behind the suite at Del Mar and San Eden. And, uh, so uh, Steve's still with us, but... Um, when the bill comes up, there, there's we need like 12, 12 of us to, to pay for it. But, uh, but no, fun group. And yeah, we're up here on, on workout mornings. And uh, uh, it is, it's a wonderful place to, to watch and train.
3: Much thanks to Doug O'Neill for that. Just a reminder that the Santa Anita Fall Meet is back and it's in full swing. The meeting runs until November the 5th, culminating in the two day Breeders' Cup world championships. Don't miss free admission Fridays. Be there or be square. Every Friday, race fans enjoy free admission, parking, and $3 beers and $5 margaritas, which you know what, are actually really, really good.
1: Gotta, hey, like uh, gotta like those five dollar. Gotta like those five dollar margaritas. All right, guys. Tons of races to review from last week. Um, we can't go over all of them. We simply don't have time. But it was one of those big pre-Breeders' Cup weekends with a lot of win in year-end races. So let's kind of look at the highlights. And the biggest name of the weekend, obviously, was Cody's Wish who ran in the Vosburgh, uh, a race really on paper. There's absolutely no reason to expect that he could possibly lose. I guess maybe he had to prove a little bit of something, a little bit of something after he uh, didn't perform to his best in the um, Whitney. But remember, that was a mile and eighth race around two turns, which is not um, really his way of going. Um, he got off to a slow start again, which he did in the Met Mile as well. Um, he was professional. Uh, it was one of those grinding wins over uh, uh, horse, uh, what the heck is this horse's name? I can't even read my writing. You guys can remember it was second, I hope. Um, but you know, it, it, did it move him up in my book? No. Did it move him down in my book? No. Uh, he moves on to the Breeders' Cup mile and, uh, he's, uh, still a neat story and still a very good horse, but, but definitely not a race that took your breath away or anything like that.
2: No, no. I mean, he wasn't one of his finest efforts, right? But, You mentioned that it looked like on paper there's absolutely no way he could lose. But, But Bill Mott saw that as well. And there's no reason to get a horse just entirely cranked up for a maximum A effort against that field in the Vosburg. When really the ultimate prize that they're looking at is the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, which is going to be the final race of his career. This was just a means to an end. He accomplished it, still ran a good race, still won didn't break the pace was slow which is one of the reasons why it looked like kind of a grinding win as opposed to that sweeping you know move coming from off a fast pace like he had in the Metropolitan Mile so I thought it was a good effort all in all it didn't blow me away but I'm not really going to penalize him for that Zoe given the circumstances
3: it was fine Uh, I mean that's basically all you can say about it it was a fine effort He he does have problems in the gate listening to Junior Alvarado afterwards. He said the problem with him getting an outside draw, which is great, is that they put him in, he wants to act up, and they spring the gate. And it's not even like he broke that slow. It's just he doesn't want to be involved that early. Like if you watch him break, he broke in a teeny bit of a tangle, but he was right behind the last horse. Ten jumps later, he's like five lengths behind. So he leaves with the field and then just drops himself back naturally. And, and that's, I think, what he wants to do. He was just like, I'm just going to throw in a fine effort. This isn't the big dance. I'm going to gallop around here and I'm going to win. But it was a fine performance and that's it. And I hate the word fine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be able to use the same word for Zandon's win in the Woodward. It was a fine performance. And the story here was, I mean, this horse was uh, so consistent but he wasn't winning. His last win goes all the way back to the last year's bluegrass on April 9th of 2022. And he's lost eight straight since as well. Eight straight. He must be a bum. Well, look at some of these races. He ran second in the Whitney, the Met mile, the Pennsylvania Derby, the Jim Dandy. He was just never quite in the right place at the right time. Um, Some of it was, you know, maybe he wasn't quite up to the caliber of the A plus stars. He was running against uh, in these races. Unfortunately, the Woodward is one of those uh, races that is not what it used to be. It is now down to a grade two. Uh, and uh, he he found a field he could beat. But you know, on top of that, he, he looked pretty good. He looked better than fine. Let's put it that way. Um, I like the way he accelerated in the stretch. Um, he's going to come back in the Breeders' Cup Classic, which will be a much uh, stiffer test. And you know what? He's going to run third because that's what Zandon does.
3: He runs second. Okay, he's that's he's a record running second. Let's give him that much. He could All be right. second.
2: All right. Well, who's he gonna have to beat in the Breeders' Cup Classic? See, that's the uh you know, that's the big question to ask. Archangelo is the favorite in the Breeders' Cup Classic poll. He's been the favorite for a few weeks. And yeah, I mean he looked good winning the Travers. Got a 105 buyer speed figure. Zandon just got a 104 winning the Woodward in a cakewalk. He got a 106 running behind Cody's Wish in the Metropolitan Mile. He got a 105 last year as a three-year-old running in the the Travers at the Breeders' Cup Classic distance of a mile and a quarter. So, I mean, you've got quite a barrio who missed a workout uh, a couple of weeks ago for no apparent reason in California. That probably doesn't concern Rick Dutrow, but it concerns me. Uh, you've got Forte, who's battling a quarter crack, who might not even make the race. You've got Slow Down Andy, who we'll talk about in a minute, who just comes off a of win in the Awesome again, who has questions in a uh, stiffly run mile and a quarter. You've got a couple of really good speed horses in Saudi Crown and uh, uh, Arabian Night who could compromise each other. Hell, the Breeders' Cup Classic is a complete grab bag right now. So I could easily see Zandon slugging from off the pace with a repeat performance of um, the kind of form that he showed in the Woodward and maybe even pulling down all the marbles if nobody jumps up and runs a huge race in front of him.
3: I thought he ran a big race. I thought he overcame a lot in that race. Yes, he was the best horse he was supposed to win. Flavian rode him like the best, best horse. He let him lay back and do his thing. He came very, very wide. Ate an awful lot of dirt. But then once he got clear, he kicked clear and won like a good horse. So it was a good performance. I'll be happy to see him out here. And you're right, the Breeders' Cup Classic is shaping up to be a very, very good race indeed. Archangelo continues to train just like he trained in Saratoga here at Santa Anita. Very forwardly, ears up and rolls around there. As far as White Barrio, I believe it's. Feet issues for him. Ian McKinley, the blacksmith was out here to fix some shoes. He has glue on shoes. So I think that's been one of his problems when he wasn't allowed to work here at Santa Anita. did work yesterday morning at 630 and went one on one and change and, and looked, looked good, looked very happy doing it. I popped by the barn and saw him yesterday. So I think his feet issues are in the rear view mirror and it is shaping up to be a, a really good betting race. Is there a standout in there? Is there a flight line? No. But it's going to be a good race, and I'm delighted to see that it's going to be a full field, which I don't think we've had a big field of decent horses in quite some time.
2: Bill, you I'm know who to... else is going to run in the Classic, I think? Yes. Dermasotogaki! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Along with Ushba Tesoro, the other Japanese horse, who won, That
1: was it the Saudi Cup or the Dubai World Cup? Uh, I think one World of the two. Zubai World Cup. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all right. It's a good so, feel. Zoe, where does awesome um, slow down Andy, the winner of the awesome again, where does he fit into the mix? He won by two and a quarter lengths over defunded. Uh, the way the race developed was a little bit surprising. Um, he got the lead and got it um, fairly comfortably. Um, I don't think a lot of people expected that. Uh, I, uh, the writer in the uh, racing forum called it a speed favoring track. Um, I didn't take a close enough look at the day to really make an assessment on that. But what about slow down, Andy's performance uh, in the Awesome Again for Doug O'Neill?
3: It was good. I don't think anyone expected him to be on the lead. Doug didn't expect it. Mario certainly didn't expect him to be on the lead. But Mario is such a relaxed rider. When he popped out with his head in front, he just let the lines go and said, "Go on, my son, and and just go and do it." Defunded broke a tad slow, so. He sat back when perhaps he should have just gone, but I'm not sure Defunded is the same horse that we saw in last year's Awesome again. His works haven't been as good. He's just he's not as sharp as he was. So that honestly didn't surprise me. As far as the track, we got a daily. It was such a shame on a day when New York wasn't running. Right at 12:30, it just pissed down. It was a deluge of rain. Cats and dogs are flying out of the sky. We were expecting 20% chance of rain. Nobody was expecting what we saw. So they immediately, horses were in the paddock. They took the first race off the grass because there was standing water on the turf course, which after a few hours and a few drying hours, it did actually seep in and they carded a couple of the latter turf races on the turf and it actually yielded some fast times. But immediately the mo- moment that water got into the track. And, and it was. It was a little speed bias there on Saturday. Through through nobody's fault, I think he got – it was a fair pace. I mean, he went 46 and changed 110. That was a good time. He earned the win, that's for sure. Where does he stack up amongst that bunch in the Breeders' Cup Classic? Eh, I, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I can't you- put him in the top three. I honestly can't.
2: Yeah, if you were making a line right now on the Breeders' Cup Classic, uh, you would probably make slowdown, Andy eight to one or ten to one, ten and to that's one. even with yeah. the fact that it's in his backyard, right? It's at yeah. Santa Anita, which has got to be a benefit. Always is, uh, but he never seems to run a bad race, you know. No, when he doesn't he's- win. He's in there. He's in there plugging away all the way to the end. I have questions, like I said uh, a little while ago, in a strongly run mile and a quarter. With him up kind of close to the pace, I have questions about his ability to see out the entire 10 furlongs, but he's in this classic field. He's right there somewhere in the mix.
3: He's an overachieving Calbred, and who wouldn't want one of those? I mean, really, he's making them an awful lot of money, and he's a cool horse to be around as well.
1: Randy, in previous shows, you've talked about how tough it looks like the Breeders' Cup Distaff is going to be. Uh, just a loaded field. Now let's put Adair Manor in there as well. I mean, we knew she was in the mix. But, you know, here's one that's uh, flown under the radar. Uh, you know, Baffert is not known for winning with older fillies and mayors, but he's got this one in fantastic form, having won five straight. She won the Zenyatta. And, uh, you know, again, another horse in a race. I agree with you. There's seven or eight real stars in there. She belongs in the mix as well. Oh, yeah. She was one to ten
2: in the Zenyatta in just a four-horse field that, you know, she dominated from a pace perspective as well as on paper going in. So, but she did what she was supposed to do, right? I mean, she's won five races in a row. She's won by open margins in most of those. She won the Santa Maria by four and three quarters, the Santa Margarita by four and a half, the Zenyatta by five and a quarter. If you're going to critique her though for any of those, uh, you know, races and you're going to look ahead to the distaff, really the only way you can, the only black mark against her, if you want to call it that, you could say who's she beating and how fast is she running? Right? Her last five wins. Big Switch behind her. Bella and Big Switch. Kirsten Bach. Desert Dawn, the last two who were behind her. She was odds-on favorite in each one of those races. Uh, 95, 98, buyer speed figures, 94. And now she's going to have to run against Nest. And you're looking at, you know, Air and Secret Oath and Idiomatic and all these horses that uh, – that have really run some fast, very powerful races. But it's in her backyard, just like we said about slow down Andy and you got the Bob Baffert factor. She's got speed, which is always beneficial. Uh, I I think you got to put her in the mix. She's in excellent, excellent form right now.
3: You have to throw her in the mix. I'd, I have a lot more confidence in her than slow down Andy. Sorry, Andy. But even yes. just looking at her physically, she's like looking at black beauty. She's this big, black, beautiful filly. She's about 17 hands. She stands over a lot of ground. She's an imposing individual. When she prances into the paddock, you're going to be like, whoa, what, what just came in here? So she definitely has an edge and being her hometown track. Uh, I, I really like her, and she's going to be a price up against the bunch that you just mentioned and pretty mischievous, too.
1: Yeah, Let's stick with Zoe to give her report. We, she is our official European correspondent. <laughs> the Arc de Triomphe. Take it away, Zoe. I think we all watched the Art, didn't we? And our jaws absolutely
3: dropped. Now, I like Westover. Dan Ross liked Westover. Westover looked like a winner until... All of a sudden, down the outside of the racetrack. I'm like, who is that? Oh my God. I mean, like he was shot out of a cannon, Ace Impact. A, an imperious winner. Like he was absolutely fantastic. He left the rest of them like they were tied to a tree. That's how fast he took the britches off most of those jocks when he went by them. That's how fast he finished. I mean, it was a wicked, Turn of foot, something that I'm not sure that we've seen in the arc in a while. Now I was helped by the ground. The ground was listed as good to soft. I don't know where they came up with the good to soft. I've got no idea or soft or whatever it was, but it was definitely on the firmer side. It rode quick. It supported quick times all day. He was absolutely terrific. Westover was terrific. The second, The third place finisher, Onesto. How about Frankel? Frankel was the grandsire of Ace Impact. He was the sire of Westover. He was the sire of Onesta. He was the sire of Kalina, who also won a Group 1 race. I mean, he is the sire of sires and the sire of the moment. He had a terrific day. It was a really good yeah. card. That was fun watching those races. Yeah,
2: and, and, you, know, uh, you, know, Ace-
3: yeah you were excited quit. too, right, Randy? We know Bill doesn't oh, care. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. I loved them. And, and uh, the undercard races are always huge yes. for the Breeders' Cup as well. You know, the opera, races like that are always gigantic. Uh, and this horse ace impact kind of rewrote the rules, so to speak, that people are always talking about going into these big races. We talked about it last week. He hadn't run since August because the trainer wanted him fresh. That almost never happens in the arc. He's the first arc winner, what do we say, 33 years or something like that, that Came into the race without a previous win at a mile and a half. Did that bother him at all? Hell no. I mean, he looked awesome. And to your point about how strong the performance was, I haven't seen the time form rating yet, but racing post does its own ratings. And if you look at like the last dozen or so runnings of the arc, he is tied with enable yes. for the highest rating 129 uh, racing post rating now. Are we going to see him? My first thought after the race was over was, "Eh, probably not. But since then, the ownership, the trainer has been quoted as saying, hey, we love international racing. We love to travel. We get a kick out of it. We're not ruling out any sort of travel in the future, whether it's to the U.S. or Hong Kong or Japan. Who knows? So maybe Ace Impact is still in the running for the Breeders' Cup Turf. And, you know, right now, the way the Breeders' Cup is shaping up, there are just some fantastic international participation involved, right? Emily Upjohn, uh, who didn't run in the ARC, is being pointed for the Breeders' Cup. I don't know if it's the turf or the Philly and Mayor turf. I think it's the Breeders' Cup turf. Um, and you've got uh, Auguste Rodin from the Comore crew who's being pointed for the Breeders' Cup turf. I, and a lot of other international horses and in other races as 100%. well. It'd be great. Yeah, it'd be great if we get to see this horse.
3: We might. Opera Singer, she's she's pointing towards the the juvenile turf. She won the Priest Marcel Busak. And then, you know what I heard this morning? I'm not sure the ace impact is coming here. They were talking about perhaps, perhaps a matchup between him and Equinox in the Japan Cup. Now, who would you give the vote? Equinox. Yeah, I know. Okay, that was easy.
2: <laughs> All right. Home field advantage in Japan is yeah, huge. Exactly. <laughs> the TD and Riders Room also brought to you by the Pennsylvania Horse Breeders Association. We talk about this every week. It's been a heck of a last 12 months for Pennsylvania breads, and they're trying to keep it rolling this weekend, where you've got our shot running in the grade two Woodford Stakes at uh at keeneland part of the keeneland opening weekend festivities he's coming off an allowance win uh and a third place finish in the stakes at saratoga and also looking in the rearview mirror just this past weekend a horse named hardy constitution bred in pennsylvania traveled to churchill down she was sent off a one to five favorite in an allowance race romped home by four and a half lengths Hardy constitution a four-year-old filly bred by dr roberta schneider a lot more PA Bread news coming up in subsequent weeks. To learn more in the meantime about owning and breeding in the great state of Pennsylvania, email info at pabread.com.
5: The PA Horse Breeders Association presents the Pennsylvania Stallion Series. Six
4: races for PA sire, PA bred two-year-olds at parks. Two $100,000 contests at five and a half furlongs. On August 21st, PA Day at the races. September 23rd, PA Derby Day. has two races at six and a half
5: furlongs, both with a $150,000 purse. And in December, two races going long, each worth $200,000. For more, go to pabred.com.
2: The TD and Riders are brought to you by the Fast Sires at Windstar Farm, which is kind enough to always sponsor our fastest horse of the week every week. First, though, we like to spotlight one of those uh, hot sires at Windstar. And anybody who owns horses, trains horses, gambles on horses, has to have noticed that this summer, the two-year-olds, the sire constitution has been just fantastic. He is the leading two-year-old sire in wins 62 wins among two-year-olds that's one more than into mischief and also in money one 1.56 million by constitution two-year-olds this year that's just a touch over justify who we've talked about has had a hot start with his two-year-olds this year so Right now, Constitution is clicking on all cylinders. And also, you know what's also great about Constitution? This has nothing to do with the money aspect of it. The names that you get, right? Horses sired by Constitution, American Revolution, Federalism, Congressman. Uh, I've got a bunch of them here. Give me liberty. Okay? I, I, I stopped at the J's with James Madison, but that's yet another thing to like about Constitution. So you breed the Constitution, you get a good racehorse. And you also have the possibility to name one of those great names that honors American history. Constitution standing at stud at Windstar Farm. Fastest horse of the week, we've already talked about him. We've already talked about the figure. That would be Zandon off of his win last week. 104 buyer speed figure for Zandon, whose next start penciled in as the Breeders' Cup Classic.
1: TDN Writers room is brought to you by the Green Group, a tax accounting and advisory firm specializing in the thoroughbred industry and designed to save you taxes. And we welcome in now the Green Group guest of the week, and it is Cormac Brannick, who wears lots of different hats at Keeneland. He's the director of sales and operations. And uh, we're having him on today. You can talk about just anything, Keeneland, the September sale, the November sale, the race meet coming up. But, uh, Cormac, why don't we start with the September sale, since that's the, the closest uh, uh, goings on at Keeneland a- as we do this podcast. And once again, you pr- re- produced figures that were largely in line with last year's record-breaking sale. Uh, lots of optimism, lots of good numbers. What does this say about your place in the market?
4: it was a remarkable sale um last year we broke all records we set record average median uh, gross and rna rate and this year we edged slightly up on the average while the others were very close to last year so we were thrilled um i think one of the things i was really excited about we had 168 different horses bring a half a million or more um i think there was a great spread in the market the top was very strong we had 37 figure yearlings that went to 21 different domestic or international buyers so you see a huge Spread in in the market and and congregating here at Keeneland in September, so it's very exciting for us and for our team and and for the you know we're very thankful obviously to the breeders and consigners who supported us because you're only as good as the uh, the catalogue you can put together. But to see a lot of people rewarded well and and a lot of smiles, uh, really you know makes it all worthwhile.
3: Comic delighted to have you here. Before we go any further, I want to commend Bill on the pronunciation of your last name because. I can't remember how many people have mispronounced it because <laughs> what, what do you get? Breath match, Brenich? Like what? What do you uh, usually get?
4: Breathmatch should be the that would be the go-to, but uh, <laughs> I I've been here twenty-seven years now, so I answer to most things. I, I did my home I did my homework, Zoe. I think Carmichael. I did just weight.
1: pull that out of the pull that out of a hat. Yeah.
3: Well, we're well, delighted. Done to have you and having been at the Keelan september sale i want to give you guys a massive round of applause because it seemingly went off without a hitch it's like you know the geese swimming across the top of the lake and but their yeah. legs underneath it going a million miles an hour that is exactly what it looked like and i commend you for sticking to your guns and sticking to the book one principles that has got more people actually wanting to be in book one who would have thought it Million Dollar Horses coming out of book
0: one.
4: (laughs) Yeah, thanks Zoe. I mean, it was great. You know, we got a lot of support and a lot of people like yourself were there every day from from tip to tail, just walking the barns and and finding diamonds in the rough and and million dollar horses alike. So we, you know, Tony Lacey uh, was hired as VP of sales and a few weeks later called me and invited me to join the team. and I couldn't have been more excited and really, you know, having my first September sale I've done from was in 1995 as groom and show person. And so I've been part of a lot of them for a long time. And we really recognized and agreed on the fact that consistent format was a, a, gonna be a tough nut to crack, but something that we really needed to do because you get in a cycle of trying to adjust based on a previous year's results. And in, in the end, one thing everyone agrees on is you can't hide a good horse. And so to be fair to the buyers, to make the sale flow, to make it all make sense, putting the better horses forward is is critical to to all of that and so we saw you know tremendous trade um each of the three september sales we've done but particularly last year and this year and it builds a momentum that allows the sale to stay productive right through the end so we had record prices in you know both sessions in book four this year and again on the last day of the sale at hundred eighty five thousand dollars sale of a canadian bred horse that you know is the highest priced ever on the last day of the keelan september sale so you know, there's nothing that, that's easy that you can take for granted, but I think we've we've found something that works, and consistency is a big part of this.
1: Cormac, this is going on while well, the full crop is going down year after year after year, down 3% this year. And uh, you know the numbers. I mean, it, it it's now something that we've come to expect each year. We're down to 18,000 foals. Uh, which is a huge drop from even about eight, nine years ago. However, you look at the Keeneland sale, your catalog this year, 4,215 in the catalog. It was the second straight year that you actually cataloged more horses than you did the year before. How are you making that work? If the full crop is going down, it would stand to reason that you'd have fewer horses in your sale, but that's not happening, Why? I
4: mean, it's a, it's a great question and I'm not sure there's an easy answer, but there's a lot of things that we look at in there. First of all, we're very grateful to the support that we get. We're up to twenty-four percent of the entire North American thoroughbred year or full crop that goes through the Keeneland September sale, which is staggering. Um, it, it it's a pays tribute to the people who came long before Tony and I, you know, people like Rogers Beasley and Jeffrey Russell and everybody else that made Keenan what it is today. And we're just trying to be stewards to, you know, advance it as far as we can. Um, I do think logistically what's changed the 2008 correction since when the full crop has dropped about 50% or almost 50%, that did weed out a lot of, you know, a lot of people that maybe had lesser mares, but also the people, I guess the better way to put it, the people that are breeding nowadays are extremely savvy. There are, are a lot of very clever, very experienced, um, very dedicated commercial breeders and thankfully for us, they're looking to keen in September as a large outlet for their, for their stock every year. So that's a, a, you know, a privilege for us, but also a huge responsibility that we do the best we can with what they're bringing us. So I, I do think the change really is in the level of sophistication and the investment and everything else, the quality of the mayors, you know, everything else that, that comes to our doorstep because it, There aren't the lower end horses that were being bred maybe 15, 20 years ago, nearly as many of those now. There are a lot fewer of those. So really you look into book five and book six. And when we're tasked with placing horses into the books to make the sale flow, you have to make some really tough decisions about horses that you wouldn't think in your own mind are book six horses, but because of literally space constraints, that's where they have to end up. So, And we saw it in the prices this year, the the prices stayed strong right through to the end. The clearance rate was extremely good as it was last year. I think that's a testament as much to the breeders as anything we're doing here with the quality that they provide.
3: So that was September. We'll skip October. We'll get to October and the races in just a moment. Let's fast forward to November. How do you go from yearlings to weanlings to your horses of racing age sale to your mares? Tell us a little bit about what we have to look forward to in the upcoming November sale and the massive horses of racing age sale as well.
4: Sure. Um, yeah, we also here at Keeneland have the world's largest breeding stock sale. So that'll start on uh, on Wednesday, the 8th of November um, this year. And, you know, that actually putting that together is something that happens really after the September catalog has gone to the Jockey Club for fine analysis and then for printing. So we're really working on that November sale from sort of the third week of August through to the day before horses ship in here or the day they do ship in here for the September sale. So that catalog has been sort of baked for a few weeks now, except for supplements that so we'll have it to announce weekly here, short uh, starting shortly for book one. Um, it's, we you know, we announced a catalog with just over 3,650 horses, about 1,800 weanlings and over 2,000 broodmares and brood- and broodmare prospects, um, a handful of stallion prospects and active stallions as well. So it's a, a huge, another nine-day sale, another huge catalog that'll go for, you know, for nine consecutive days. And then at the back end, which is Friday, the 17th of November, we'll have our November Horses of Racing Age sale. So one of the things that we did and, and that I took real interest in starting here at Keeneland was having a separate Horses of Racing Age sale, both in April and in November, where they could be standalone. Where the entry deadline wasn't as early as it is for breeding stock sales for a catalog of that magnitude, so we have our entries. We're just closing our entries now for the for the November horses racing age sale, and we'll add supplements as we go. So we have about two hundred and sixty or so to have in our initial catalog at this point, and uh, and that'll that'll all happen on Friday the seventeenth uh, of November. Cormac, I know there's still some eyes
1: to be dotted and t's to be crossed, but uh, could you give us uh, a snapshot of some of the major names that people? Uh, we will be following as they come into the um Keeneland November sale I know one of them is is Caravelle uh, that sure. magnificent, yeah. uh breeders cup winner from last year but uh, give me um off the top of your head six seven horses that you're excited about selling
4: yeah we have uh Caravelle's obviously one of the very very choice offerings and I think it's particularly exciting for us here at Keeneland because we have the race meet as well and, you know, glove fits hand. We're working hand in hand with the racetrack all the time and, and sales helps fund our purses. So to have somebody like her that's been so successful around our racetrack and won the Breeders' Cup here come to our sale is very exciting. Um, her dam is also in the sales zoom Zoom from Elizabeth Merriman. She's also going to sell in, in book one in November. And then um, Case Clay has uh, set up his own consignment and has two incredible offerings that are in book one. Uh, Puka, the dam of mage, carrying a full sibling by good magic. And, um, and Dalica is one of 11 mares in fold to flight line in our catalog. So that's, you know, you can bundle in 11 of those, there are 13 mares in full life is good. And there are a lot of mares in fold to a very exciting, uh, first crop or first covering sire group, you know, including the five horses at, at Ashford, like epicenter and Jack Christopher and golden pal, etc. And you've got mares in full to Olympiad. It's a, it's a really exciting catalog. This will be one of the first first chances for people to get in on the flight line phenomenon. What kind of buzz is is around these mayors that are that are in fall to him? Oh, we've had a lot of calls already from all over the world about what mayors are going to be in the catalog and how many and, and so on. So, I think he's going to create the splash that uh, that everybody expects. Plus, uh, they did have a little a little into his uh, to his career last year when we sold a two and a half percent fractional interest for four point six million to kick off the sale last year. So. We're excited to continue that story and, and with his uh, mares and fall this year and foals and yearlings in, time, in years to come.
3: Well, we're really looking forward to it and you must be looking forward to opening day at Keeneland that starts on yeah. Friday, full stars, all stars. There are winning your ends, not only here at Santa Anita, but across the country. What are you most looking forward to and what can we, as the viewers, people that may be looking on the Google box, what can we expect to see from Keeneland this weekend?
4: Oh, it, it'll be fantastic. We have. Um, 11 stakes this weekend, eight of them are Breeders' Cup winning, you're in events um, in the Fall Stars weekend. So it's three unparalleled days of action here. Uh, one race that I think really jumps out to me is the Alcibiades. I think that race is loaded. And you look it up at the morning line, you've got fillies like Al- Alice Beach and horses like that at 20 to 1. It could be one of the races of the year. Um, but it's going to be action packed turf and dirt sprints and long races. I mean, it, it can't can't wait for it. And for us in the sales side, It's a really good time to welcome our clients back on the and share some fun and the action of the game that we're all uh, also dedicated to.
1: Cormac we've been used to great stakes races at Keeneland for quite some time but this phenomenon in not just at Keeneland but all of the Kentucky racetracks that I I guess is about four or five years old since the historical horse racing machines Mm -hmm. came in and you know what what I still look at and and my eyes just pop out every time I see these races, on the Saturday card, you have $100,000 maiden special weight races, $120,000 uh, allowance races. Again, it, and I know this is not just a Keeneland story, it's a Kentucky story, but these overnight races with these fabulous purses, what has that meant for the whole Kentucky racing circuit and Keeneland in particular?
4: I think it's really hard to put in words, Bill, to be honest. I mean, I I remember two years ago, in my first September sale, only a few months on the job, just being marveling at how strong the market was through to the end of the sale. And, and that's really what's fueling it. I mean, the purses are making it a lot more sensible for somebody to invest 40, 50, 60,000, get a group of friends together, do whatever they need to do to have a horse. I mean, there's really a, a huge change, sea change in, in the last five or six years with that uh, injection of revenue. And so it's Tremendous and something that really drives the sport from, from the grassroots up. And it makes so many, more, so many people's lives better that are involved in the sport, no matter what their job is. It's, uh, it's really invaluable and something we uh, are very appreciative of and take very seriously.
3: Comic, you're a guy that has worn many, many hats in the industry. A lot of people might know that you are a qualified veterinarian. And uh, what, what else have you done? We know you work for the great late Brenton Jones at Airdrie. Give us an overview of what you have done that has led you to Keeneland that people might be like, hmm, I, I'm not sure I know much about Cormac.
4: I still wonder how I ended up here, Zoe. I'm not <laughs> sure I can really answer that, but. <laughs> um, I'm a, Well, I'm not quite a vet, but I'm a PhD in uh, veterinary science. And so that was my ticket over here in 1996. So in 95, I spent a summer while I was in university here in Lexington. It was where I always wanted to come, worked the sale, wanted to get back here, went to graduate school at UK at the Gluck Equine Research Centre, and uh, spent 11 years in research while working on the side with people like Jackie Ramos, Richard Galpin, and doing as much bloodstock work as I could, and working weekends on farms. And, and um, in the mid-2000s, I, I made the switch out of research into the, this work, full-time work for myself for a couple of years, and then went to uh, Dina Springs, and then subsequently to uh, Governor Jones's Airtree Stud. I worked with Brett and his family there for four years prior to coming to Keeneland. So there are a lot of ways to uh, in this industry to to get you know to different places, and it's a it's a great industry to be part of.
3: How has your veterinary degree helped you? Like, th- does it help you in the day to day things, especially when you're looking at horses?
4: You know, it, I don't know. In I think it helps a little in a lot of different ways. Um, I think it's It's helped, especially in terms of this job and and looking at what we're trying to do and, and looking at things sort of critically or analytically in some ways. Um, but I think there's no, uh, training for horsemanship other than just being around them all the time. Right. And so that's what I've done in whatever, whatever facet I've been, I've been lucky enough to be in. Um, and that's just being immersed in them since very early days. So with the PhD, have Zoe and
1: I not done you justice? Or should we have been calling you Dr. Brannick? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I hide from that. Okay. <laughs> Well,
1: Cormac, thanks so much for your time today on the TDN Riders Room podcast. It's always great to talk about Keeneland, especially with the meet coming up. It's a 17-day meet. It starts Friday, and Fall Stars Weekend, as you uh, mentioned earlier, is just loaded with one major great stakes race after another. It's a great time of year when Keeneland is selling horses, but for me as a racing fan, even greater time of year when you're racing horses. So thanks so much for being the Green Group Guest of the
4: Week on our TDN. Thank, Thank you both very much. Really enjoyed it.
1: Thanks, Cormac. As the Green Group Guest of the Week, Cormac Brannick will receive a free one-hour tax consultation with the Green Group. For more information on how the Green Group can save you taxes, visit www.greenco.com. We'll be right back after this
5: message from the Green Group. Are you paying too much in taxes? The Green Group can help. There's a reason the most successful owners, breeders, and horsemen select the Green Group as their tax advisors. They save you money and share successful strategies over the past 40 years the green group founder len green has owned and bred some of the best racehorses in the history of the sport like eclipse award-winning champions jaywalk and wonder wheel his dj stable competes at the highest level and has received the game's most prestigious honors Len Green's in-depth, hands-on industry knowledge combined with cutting-edge tax-saving strategies has produced positive results for his clientele and has made The Green Group the top-rated accounting and tax firm in the thoroughbred business. For a confidential and complimentary consultation, contact us at 732-634-5100 or visit our website at www.greenco.com. The Green Group, proven strategies to save you taxes. With some of the fullest fields in the country and quality racing year round, there's never been a better time to reap the rewards of breeding and racing in Kentucky. Purse money in Kentucky is at an all time high, as is average purse per race, outpacing California, Florida, and New York. Kentucky breads. Breed them, raise them, race them. We all win.
3: The TDM Writers' Room is brought to you by Kentucky Bread's European Group One winners are bred in Kentucky. Listen to this. Kentucky bred opera singer, we just talked about her, by Justify, won one, won one of the most important two-year-old races on the European calendar when taking the Group One pre-Marcel Boussac Longchamp on Arc Day and she was impressive. The win has already established Opera Singer as the favorite for the 2024 1000 Guineas and the X and the Epsom Oaks and gave Justify his first European Group One winner. Opera Singer earns a berth into the $1 million Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies turf with the win but Aidan O'Brien. Ever cautious said he would have to talk with the lads back at Coolmore before deciding upon her next start.
1: Well, another huge weekend of Breeders' Cup prep races, Belmont, Santa Anita, Keeneland will all be in action with major races that will have major ramifications for the Breeders' Cup. Just to mention a few, Belmont, we have the Champagne and the Frazette, and they will now run the Joe Hirsch Turf Classic. Last weekend was canceled, that big storm in New York, and they decided rather than to run it on very soft uh, turf course conditions, they would bring it back for this week. Santa Anita, yeah, the American Pharaoh and the Chandelier. News out of American Pharaoh, Prince of Monaco, looks like uh, possibly the most talented two-year-old in the country, trained by Bob Baffert, will train up to the Breeders' Cup. He's (laughs) the American Pharaoh. I want to hear a guy say, you know what, we're running up to the Breeders' Cup. We're going to give him two preps between now and Breeders' Cup Day. Then that would really surprise me. And then at Keeneland, there's four grade one stakes races over the weekend, starting with Alcibiades on Friday. And then three more on Saturday. You know, guys, because Keeneland was nice enough to get their past performances out before everybody else. Because you know what, it's not easy talking about these races before uh, the past performances out. So uh, no slight on the other tracks, but we are going to we'll talk more about those races. And and I, I, uh, if Randy and Zoe have anything particular to say about them, that's fine. But let's do a, a deep dive into the four grade ones at Keeneland starting with the Alcibiades on Friday, which is, of course, a grade one prep for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. And you've got the division leader in there, Brightwork 4-for-4 lifetime for trainer John Ortiz, uh, has won the Spinaway Adirondack, the debutante, and Broker Maiden. But lo and behold, Vivi's dream is coming off a huge win last time out in the Pocahontas for Ken McPeak, where she won by eight and three quarters, got an 88 buyer figure. But in her prior start at Ellis Park, she was beaten by Brightwork. So Brightwork could win this easily. And if she does, uh, quite possibly, well, Tamara uh, uh, could be the, I think will be the Breeders' Cup, uh, juvenile filly's favorite, no matter what. But maybe Brightwork is the second choice. We'll see what happens in the Alcibiades.
3: I don't think you should discount Emery. It's a lot to ask of her. She's only made one start. That was in the mud. But she is a filly with an abundance of talent for trainer Brad Cox. She'll get Tyler Gafflione. Bright work is the one to beat. I mean, she's answered every question that's ever been answered of her. She continues to train forwardly in every way, throwing in a bullet work at Keeneland as well. So she is undoubtedly the one to beat, but they're all going to be trying something. Most of them have not tried. And that is going around two turns for the very first time. It's, it's a quick run into that first turn there. So we we'll have to see what they could do. Brightwork hasn't done it either. Um, the only one that's well, actually, Kenny McPeak. That's a one-turn mile at Churchill as well. Shimmering allure. She's got. She's coming out of restricted races, but she's okay. I really like Emory, but Brightwork is most definitely the one to beat.
2: And the thing to me to like the most about Brightwork uh, is the way she won the spinaway. When you go back and you analyze the spinaway. Any horse that was up close to the pace in the spinaway absolutely collapsed, right? The race did not finish very well at all because the pace was fast for those two-year-old fillies at seven-eighths of a mile. It's very challenging for two-year-old fillies to get that extra furlong out to seven furlongs. And Brightwork was only a length and a quarter behind. She was the only filly who was up there close to the lead uh, who was around at all at the finish, and yet she still managed to outduel ways and means down the stretch. Now, having said that, ways and means was arguably the better horse because of what happened to her on the back stretch. So, that's what makes this kind of a point counterpoint thing about Brightwork. Vivi's dream really took a step forward in the Pocahontas uh, along with Emery, so I think uh it's a it's a it's a really it, it's a fun race to handicap.
3: And ways and means came out of that with a a chip too, so we won't see her in the breeder's cup. So,
1: the, the Saturday grade ones begin with the First Lady Stakes, and surprise, surprise, Chad Brown has won this race each of the last five years, six times overall, and he's got three of the six horses in here, Gina Romantica, White Beam, and in Italian. In Italian will be the favorite, I would imagine, despite losing to Stable Mate, White Beam in the diana i've always been a big in italian fan uh i like especially on turf h- horses they just go to the lead and, and, and make everybody come and get them um, could white bean beat her again i suppose it's possible but a couple things she picks up six pounds uh off the race in the diana where she beat her by a nose also they drop back from a mile an eighth to a mile i think the mile Probably suits in Italian a little bit better than the mile and eighth. Um, Joseph O'Brien brings in Jumbly. Um, we've been talking on the podcast how dominant the Europeans have been, but you do have some um, U.S. form to go on. Horse ran third in the Boston Spa Grade Two at Saratoga, uh, and that performance it wouldn't be good enough to beat the uh, Chad Brown Express. Uh, Randy, Chad Brown? Which Chad Brown? Someone else. Well, look, at a mile, uh, you got to go with in Italian. I mean, all the credit
2: to White Beam for running down in Italian and the Diana. But as you pointed out, the Diana is at a mile and an eighth. Uh, You know, I mean, she won the Diana in Italian last year, but her best distance is a mile as opposed to a mile and an eighth, And especially when she's in a situation where she can control the pace and the only other speed horse that you can find, really, there's a couple, there's heavy jets on the outside, but she kind of showed a different dimension in her last race being taken well off the pace. And I don't think she has the same speed as In an Italian anyway. And in an Italian's drawn inside of her. And there's another huge long shot in there, an allowance horse called this name is okay. But again, In Italian is drawn inside of that one, too. So I think she's going to control the pace and that kind of scenario at a mile. uh, Good luck beating In Italian who probably will be three to five as a result of all that.
3: I like White Bean. I I think she can definitely be close. And we'll go head to head in here. She won going seven furlongs going away at Newbury. She wasn't one of those horses that they ran a mile and a half, a mile and a quarter over there in Europe. She's by Caravaggio out of an Oasis Dream Mare. That's a sprint pedigree if I ever saw one. So I think a mile is going to knock her right between the eyeballs. She'll get an advantageous trip from the inside under Pratt. She's never far off the pace. She can be handy. And I'm pretty sure we've not seen the best of her yet. She's a four-year-old facing some, you know, in Italians five turning six, I think she's got less miles
1: on her, and she's going to be my pick. Head to we head, shall, we shall find out. Ninth race at Keeneland on Saturday is the Claiborne Breeders' Futurity for two-year-olds, getting ready for the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. Not not a lot of big names in this race. Uh, West Saratoga won the Iroquois uh, for trainer Larry Demerit. I believe he's the only graded stakes winner in the field, as I look down on this. But but Randy. Um, the number is going to turn locked into the favor. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it was came in a, a maiden race at Saratoga. So he's jumping from a maiden into a grade one competition. Um, but he got a 96 buyer. And it's Todd Pletcher. It's Eclipse Thoroughbreds. Um, it's uh, Jose Ortiz riding. Um, not the best post position necessarily, but that 96 tells you that he's just faster than these horses Will he run back to another 96? You never know. Maybe he'll run better. Maybe he'll run 105 or something like that. But, you know, we have faith for all the right reasons in the buyer figures. And uh, that figure jumps off the page and makes him look like the one to beat for Todd Pletcher, who uh, could have a very nice hand in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile because uh, he looks like he has the uh, possible winner of the Champagne in fierceness, who was 11 and one quarter length winner in his maiden, uh, getting a 95 buyer. Uh, at Saratoga. So we'll look for Todd Pletcher and Locked in the Claiborne Breeders Futurity.
2: And Pletcher won this race last year with Forte. If you remember, it was a spirited uh, stretch battle with a horse named Loggins, who we never saw again, trained by Brad Cox. And Forte came out the better of that. But you say there's no big names in the race, and there's not. But I think Locked is probably going to be a big name after this race. Now, what's interesting to me about this horse, it, it, he's got an interesting... Set of two, uh, you know, limited data, right? Just two races. But you look at his career debut. You've got a horse by Gun Runner, four hundred twenty-five thousand dollar yearling. Todd Pletcher, Saratoga, maiden special weight race, first time starter. Tailor made for a Todd Pletcher, right? He's twelve to one. Mm. Why in the world, given that scenario, would this horse be twelve to one in his first start? And what happened was he got uh, he got checked a little bit leaving the gate. Then he got shuffled back, pretty much lost all chance, came running, finished third in a, a decent field, blew by the horses on the gallop out. So you knew he kind of probably wanted to go longer. They stretched him out to a two-turn mile or mile mile, I guess a turn and a half at Saratoga, the new one-mile distance, and he draws off and wins by seven. Big time, legitimate. So, uh, you know, he's not without competition in here, but I think Locke uh, is definitely the worst to beat and should have a bright future.
3: He looks like a lock on the outside, and I'll tell you why he wasn't favored going into his debut. His work's in the morning because he wants to go two turns. He's not one of those on the bridle, you know, running daylights, throwing bullets downs in the morning. He's just not. So he didn't peak any of the so-called clockers you know anyone's real attention in the morning until he ran that debut race where he galloped out ahead of anyone and then it was all over and was like oh well, locked is a lock next time and he most definitely was he gets a good draw on the outside he should stay out of trouble and he looks like the one to beat for sure he does
1: Third of the grade ones is the Coolmore Turf Mile, grade one, purse, $1 million. And how about my man, Charlie Appleby? He hasn't drank the Kool-Aid. Master of the Seas wins on September 16th at Woodbine. Every trainer in America would have put him in bubble wrap at that point and not run him until the Breeders' Cup. He's coming back in three weeks, and he is going to be one of the favorites in the Coolmore Turf Mile. Good for him. The European guys are they still will run in some of these darn races. How about that? However, this is no easy assignment even for the Apple B Express because America's best turf horse is in there. That's up to the mark. For Todd Pletcher. So a couple of things. We'll get uh, some uh, evidence about the U.S. horses versus the European horses um, because if uh, up to mark, I do think is is our best turf horse uh, and and see how he represents himself in this race. Also, after he won the Manhattan at a mile and a quarter, I wonder if Pletcher uh, kind of was, a he's one of those in-between horses. Does he go in the Breeders' Cup turf or a mile and a half? Or does he go back down to a mile, which he, uh, last ran in the maker's mark mile like ran third uh pletcher by running in this race is obviously pointing him for the breeders cup mile but this is perhaps the best race of the weekend because it matches mm-hmm. our best turf horse against maybe the best turf horse among those that are coming from europe for the breeders cup i'll be fascinated to see how this one turns out uh and uh, we'll learn a lot more after the Coolmore turf mile
3: um, He's going to have to save
1: some ground this time, James
3: Doyle, a master of the T's. You can't tip as wide as he tipped on that Woodbine turf course at Keeneland and expect to win like he won. He has a wicked turn of foot. He is drawn inside, so he's likely to save all the ground going into the first turn. He only faced a field of six up there in Woodbine. But if he slingshots like he did up there in Canada, he'd better have a little bit quicker turn of foot because it's a whole tighter turf course at Keeneland than it is up there at Woodbine. He could well be the horse to beat, but you are absolutely spot on, Bill, that um, up to the mark is going to be very, very tough and could likely get the jump on him, which is crucial on a track like Keeneland.
1: Zoe, where where would Buick be this weekend that he wouldn't be making the trip for this?
3: I don't know. Honestly, I um i don't know can't tell you
2: so like when i you know as we talked about before i i tend to strongly favor for good reason european horses when they get to the breeders cup in any of the breeders cup turf races january the 28th at Gulfstream park i didn't see it in person i saw it on video but when i watched the allowance race of up to the mark i thought at that time jerry bailey and i talked about it on the phone You got to watch this race. This is the Breeders' Cup mile winner. And then he comes back and looks just as impressive, just rocketed to the front in his next start in allowance race. Then he runs third, just a neck behind Modern Games in the Maker's Mark mile, and then keeps improving. Turf Classic at Churchill, the Manhattan at the Belmont. Now, that was before we saw Master of the Seas run at Woodbine, right? And then there's another horse in the Breeders' Cup mile mix by the name of Ken Ross, who probably should have won the Breeders' Cup mile that Modern Games won last year. So it's going to be a tough task for any of the Americans, including up to the mark. But that's what makes this race just fantastic. I agree. Best race of the week when you have up to the mark running against uh, Master of the Season. Oh, by the way, the defending champion in this race is Annapolis, who had a horrific trip in his last race at
1: Kentucky Downs. That's a complete throwout. So it just adds to the intrigue here. And once again, the rerun of the Joe Hirsch Turf Classic, that'll be an interest, very interesting race and have a lot of uh, Breeders' Cup uh, ramifications. The top three finishers from last year's Breeders' Cup Turf, Rebels Romance, Stone Age, and Warlike Goddess will all be back. Rebels Romance trying to rebound after falling in the Bowling Green, and we'll find out what happens to him. On uh, Hopefully, it'll be much better weather this weekend at Aqueduct than it was last when it was just miserable.
3: The TDN Writer's Room is brought to you by XBTV. This week's XBTV Work of the Week is Arabian Night. The Pacific Classic winner worked four furlongs in 48-2 and two at Santa Anita on Saturday. Now he has already earned a berth into the Breeders' Cup Classic. And you won't like this bill, but trainer Bob Baffert says that will be his next start. The three-year-old son of Uncle Mo has won... All three of his four lifetime starts with his only loss coming in the grade one Haskell where he finished third. We'll be
5: right back. All the thrills. Fraction of the bills. Experience the power of the partnership. Change your life, make new friends and compete at the highest level of thoroughbred racing. West Point Thoroughbreds, the gold standard in racing partnerships. Visit westpointtb.com.
2: The TD and Riders the Room brought to you by West Point Thoroughbreds. You've heard it before. I've heard Bill and Zoe say this for years now. Joining a West Point partnership can vault you into the world of instant camaraderie. And look at the action that West Point is in this weekend. They have 10 stakes runners this coming weekend. That's between Keeneland. Uh, I'm not going to call it a Belmont in the at the Big A. Aqueduct, uh, Santa Anita, Woodbine. They kick things off Friday with a pair running in the five-horse Geoponte. They've got two of the five starters, Northern Invader and Ohana Honor. The Geoponte, of course, is for three-year-olds on the turf at Aqueduct.
3: Well, here comes Archangelo at Santa Anita. Trotting along. I'm, I'm trying to look over my shoulder. This isn't as easy as it may seem. There he goes. He's just turned loose from the pony. This is Robert aboard him and he's going to have a happy gallop, which is quite apropos for him. Absolutely normal as he goes off into the backside. Unfortunately, you get to look at me right now. It's just poetry in motion. Going by the gate, he usually clicks off. It's going quite steady for him, actually because I've timed him definitely 2 minute looking at Saratoga before. Oh, there he goes. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Oh. There you go.
1: Well, that's a wrap on this week's show. I want to thank my partner Zoe Cadman and Randy Moss and you guys, you came through. You were nice to me this week. Thank you. <laughs> I was long overdue, fellas. Okay. <laughs> we tried. We tried. Zoe and I talked about it beforehand. It must right. be nice to Bill. <laughs> and we also want to uh, thank our Green Group guest of the week, Cormac Branick, our co producers, Katie Petruniak and Anthony LaRocca, our editors, Alia Rocca and Nathan Wilkinson, and our mascots as always. Zoe's out there somewhere, and so is Doodle and my dog, Penny. There she is. So, uh, congratulations. Good to all of seen- you. Uh, as active as ever, Zoe uh, <laughs> Cadman's favorite dog, Doodle, Doodle, the Doodle. Okay, your favorite dog's Doodle, but we get such a kick out of Lucy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be back next week.